John's Gospel, chapter 6, is where we find ourselves. The Word of God, not the miraculous, is kind of what I came up with. And we'll see how that comes into play as we get into John, chapter 6. We've already covered verses 1 through 21 of John's Gospel, chapter 6. Um, We go back to chapter 4 and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, where Jesus brought her to a place of faith by drawing out of her through questions, um, just th- that beautiful just time that he spent with her. Um, the one that stands out as, as we're introducing this chapter, or this section that we're going to look at, is, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again, but the water that I give shall, shall spring up within you and become living water. And so, as we look at what we're going to see today... Jesus just fed the 5,000, and on the heels of that in John chapter 6, he walks on water to the disciples as they are rowing, toiling, struggling in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they, they think that Jesus, as he's coming towards them, is a ghost. They, they, they don't know what's going on, and there's fear in that Matthew's gospel. Matthew would tell us that Peter would say, Lord, if it's you, let me come out. Let me, let me walk on water with you. And as long as he, you know, stayed focused on Jesus, he was able to do the impossible. And then the Bible says that he got his eyes on the, on the waves and, and just all the wind and everything that was going on. And he began to sink. Jesus picks him up. It's very important, the order in John's Gospel, chapter 6, because Jesus feeds the 5,000 men. We believe it was more because Matthew says women and children were there as well. But he feeds the 5,000 men. And then... Everyone is clamoring after Jesus. His, his popularity has rised. It, it's reached its highest point. And so I said last week that, you know, if this was us, a typical pastor or ministry, we, you know, we would, that's time to like get the banners out and the flyers and, and do the TV spots and radio commercials. And we're blowing up, you know, we're like, woo, we're killing it, you know, but it's opposite with Jesus. He begins to thin the crowds out. He begins to let people know that they're following him for the wrong reasons. And that's what we're going to see today. On the heels of the 5,000, feeding the 5,000, he takes his disciples apart and he wants to show him, I'm not the bread God. I'm the struggle God. When you struggle, that's what I'm here for. I'm going to provide your bread. And bread is okay, but you're not living for bread because life brings on so much more And you're going to need me for such bigger things than simply bread. Bread's important. It's a part, it's a staple, right? It's a a part of everyday life. We need that material thing to be able to sustain us and to to move on. And on the heels, remember of, of now the Samaritan woman, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, he tells her. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give, you're not going to thirst. But inside of you is going to come torrents of living water. We know that as we continue through the book of, of, of John, he's referring to the Holy Spirit who's in us. And so very important we see this. John chapter 6, we're going to pick it up at verse 22. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us through it, Lord. Show us, Lord, that you're not just the bread God. Lord, you're so much more. And we have such greater needs than the simplicity of a meal and getting a free lunch. And Lord, I, I thank you for the material blessings that you've given all of us. 
I thank you for your provision, Lord, and what you, what you so graciously provide for us. But Lord, there are deep, deep, deep things within us that you so desire, Lord, to heal and to speak into and to be able to just communicate to us. And so, for, Father, may we not just see you as a free lunch program, but as so much more. All that you want to be in our lives as we get close and let you expose and let you heal areas that, that we hide, we cover up, we pretend. And so, Lord, bless your word as we have this time, as we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. On the following day, verse 22 says, When the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I would ask you, when is it wrong to seek Jesus? And the answer would be when you're looking for him for the wrong things. And they're looking for him for the wrong things. And remember, he isolated his disciples because we're going to go from multitudes following Jesus to he's going to be staring at 12. And one of them's a devil. He's going to let us know at the end of John chapter 6, speaking of Judas Iscariot. But he's going to dwindle it down to 11. He's not about multitudes. Nothing wrong with multitudes. Nothing wrong with a lot of people coming to the Lord and walking in faith. But but God's always about the one. He's always about the, the, the individual. He's always about the, let me get alone. Like, like it says in Song of Solomon, come away, my love. Come to a quiet place, you know, to, to that place where you can just spend time with me. He wants to minister in that way. And so when is it wrong to seek Jesus? When we're seeking him for the wrong reasons. And this multitude is seeking him for the wrong reasons. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side, of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I find it interesting. There's four questions in here, and Jesus doesn't answer one of them. He, they're going to ask four different questions of Jesus. And he's going to give them a question back, not in answering their question, but in response to knowing their hearts. And remember in John chapter 2, he said that Jesus didn't need anyone to tell him about anybody because he knew what was in the heart of man. He knew all men, he knew what was inside of each individual. And so God is much more intent that we follow after him for the right reasons and that we come to him for the right things. And he knows the difference between the two. He doesn't want fair-weather followers. A fair-weather follower is an individual that will follow God when things are good, when when things are going well. He, He doesn't want that. He wants disciples, learners, individuals that will come to him like he brings the disciples in this chapter. Verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And so it's kind of like bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is way better that scripture in Timothy, the material and everything that we seek in the material has 
temporal value because it's in the temporal realm. God wants us to have an eternal perspective and to live for the things of eternity because everything in the world eventually is going to come to a place in our lives where we realize, ah, it just, it just doesn't satisfy the longing of my heart. It, it, and it, they could be great things. They could be great achievements. They could be wonderful things. And, and we receive those good things. We, we're thankful for those good things. We, we experience wonderful things in life. And they're to be, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this. I, I appreciate this. Whether they be accomplishments or material things like houses and cars and, and clothes and whatever. All of that stuff. We say, thank you, Lord. Well, I appreciate that. But if we're looking to anything in the temporal realm, including relationships, people. If we're looking for anything in the material realm to meet the lasting, the longing things of our hearts, we're going to realize that we're going to come up short. And so he's telling us, don't work hard for those things because those things are going to bring you temporal pleasures. T short term, you know, wow, <laughs> been there, done that, bought the t-shirt kind of thing. So he's letting us know, he's, he's cluing us in, be careful. When you feel let down, when you feel mm, disenfranchised, when you are going through, ah, I don't know, it's just, oh, right? That frustrated feeling in life of just something's not right. Be careful what you're looking to. Be careful with what you're desiring. Because you can get it and find, wow, I really thought that was going to be it. I really thought that was going to be the thing. And he's letting us know clearly that there is no material thing that is going to fulfill the longing, lasting of your heart. Verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? I love this verse when Jesus answers it. Every religion, every system of belief has all these things, these hoops that we must jump through, these, these do's and these don'ts, these rules and these regulations. And, and Jesus is going to give us definitively, what must we do to do the works of God? Let us know. Jesus, notice his answer. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the, not the works of God, but the singular work of God that you believe in him who he sent. It separates every other system in the world. Not works, work. Believe, trust, adhere, cling, rely, believe. That's the belief that he's talking about. That's the definition of the word believe that is in the Greek. To trust in, adhere to, cling to, and rely upon. It becomes a trust. I trust him with my life. I trust him with my circumstances. I trust him with the outcomes. I just trust. I walk by faith. And I might not like it. And I might not understand it right now. But I just, I, I, I believe. I believe, Lord. I trust you. I, tr I, I don't understand right now. But Lord, I know that you're doing something bigger. You're doing something even to reveal within me what it is you're doing. That's what he's referring to. Not just a mental ascent. Not just coming to him for the material things. Not just the bread king. But my life. He is my life. I mentioned this on Sunday at church. If I find myself in a foxhole and become a prisoner of war throughout church history at any point in any nation... I have everything I need if I have God. I have everything I need if I have God. I, I think that's probably a desperate situation, right? To be a prisoner of war? 
and, and have people who are going to take me and take my freedom and throw me in some God-forsaken prison or you know, worse, right? If I have God, I have everything I need. And I know that God's with me there. And so we need to be very careful, again, what we elevate and, and what we continue, consider to be success in life because God is letting us know it's not really going to be for you what you think it is. So the singular work of God is to believe. Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Now, he just fed 5,000 plus with five loaves and two fish, two small fish. But they want to eat again. They're hungry again. Because everything that the world offers, tomorrow you need it again. It's just, it's the way it works, right? If I eat today, I'm going to be hungry tomorrow. And they're almost trying to bring him around to, hey, that was a pretty cool little trick you did, Jesus. Yeah, I don't know how you did it. But a lot of biscuits and fish that came from that little boy's lunch. Do it again, because we're hungry again. And that's what they're bringing him around to. What sign will you do? Notice verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And again, they're just like the Samaritan woman. Lord, give me this water that I don't have to come to this place and draw out of the well, right? No, 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 no. He's speaking of something entirely different. They're thinking material. He's talking spiritual. They're thinking temporal. He's talking eternal. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of Man and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. He makes a little reference to verse 12. Verse 12 in the same chapter said, so when they filled, were filled, he said to him, the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing is lost. It was a picture for the disciples. I will lose nothing. And scraps mean something to me. The little insignificant, what the world throws away, is something that is meaningful to me. That's why I like dealing with one-on-ones, God could say. Because what the world discards I say those are fragments. Gather them up. Nothing will be lost. Who the Father has given me, I lose none. And so that's a reference to what he's saying. Again, as he's, you know, in the presence, if you will, of the multitudes, he's teaching his disciples. Because this multitude, they don't know him. They know about him. They've heard of him. They're disciples of his, and yet they don't know him. A disciple is somebody who's a learner. They're, they're, they're following after him, but they're only going to follow him until it's inconvenient, 
or it's hard, or they don't understand. But true followers are going to stick with it. And they're, they're going to just, you know, they're just going to, oh, Lord, yeah, these are some tough, tough things that maybe I'm going through or tough things that you're saying. But, Lord, I know one thing. My eyes is open. I, I could see now. I've been ruined for the ordinary, C.S. Lewis would say. Christians are ruined for the ordinary because you're extraordinary. You're ruined for the ordinary because upon having your eyes open to that spiritual realm, it's a whole different ballgame. 41 says, And the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus would use seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine throughout John's gospel just to show who Jesus is. And what he's doing is he's filling in the gap for Moses, right? Um, uh, God, when I go to the Pharaoh and I, you know, I got to tell him who sent me, you know, what's your name? Who do I tell him sent me? I am that I am. I am the becoming one. I am everything that you need me to be. Jesus fills in the dot, dot, dot. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. On and on. Jesus, he, he, he fills in the I am. Well, who are you, Lord? I am anything you need me to be. Jehovah means the becoming one. I will become for you what you need me to be. Do you need peace? Then I am the God, what? Shalom? Uh, Jehovah Shalom. I am your provider, Jehovah Jireh. I am all these things, right? Everything that he needs. We need him to be in our lives at any given moment. He becomes for us. Verse 42, and they said to him, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Familiarity with God, when we think we know him, when we don't, actually will hinder a communion with God. Religious people think they know Jesus. Religious people think they know Jesus. But people who have a relationship with Jesus, they know they barely know Jesus. I barely know him. I barely, I barely scratched the surface. I mean, he's so deep. Whoo! Every time I just, I just press in, it, it goes deeper and better. It just doesn't stop. It's, it's a well that I just can't find the bottom. And so they thought they knew Jesus. Why? Because they knew his family. They knew where he was from. He was from Capernaum. His father's Joseph. Are they right? No, they're wrong. His father's not Joseph. That's his stepfather. His father is God. Right? <laughs> they think they know him because they know about him. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, he's going to begin to kind of make a reference to the cross. And they're going to take it to a a material extreme. And he's going to let them play on those words. He's going to feed those words right back to them. If you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Whoa, we got to become cannibals? Whoa, that's a little freaky, right? They don't know him. And so everything they're looking at is, is, is just a misunderstanding. Matthew's gospel in chapter 13 would take the parables, and I always used to think that the parables were to make it really easy to understand. And they are for people who see. But they're the very opposite for people who don't see. Because he doesn't, God doesn't want to continue to heap judgment on people who don't have eyes to see. Because they're accountable for that level of knowledge. So it's an act of mercy on God's part to actually withhold information from people. It's not until God opens your eyes that you can see and then gives you the desire to want to press into that relationship with him. And then as you, in your own free will, your own accord say, Lord, I want to go deep. I want more. God says, then let's go. I will deny nobody. But you have to go through deep things if you want to be deep. So understand that. You want to skirt the surface and be superficial and be a complainer and a nagger and um, just a worrier and all of these things, then God will let you skirt right there on the surface. You want to go deep? He's going to expose deep things. And then he's going to heal those deep things. And then you're going to get it. You're going to understand. And then he's going to take you deeper. If you want to go deeper. But he's not going to force you. You've got to be able to acknowledge. Oh, Lord, you're putting a, you're putting a, you're shining a light on a very uncomfortable part here. Lord, I don't really know what to do. Give it to me. Give it to me. Let me heal it. Let, Let me do something with that. Or continue to nag, continue to complain, continue to worry, continue to live in that angry state. Or at some point say, Lord, I want to go deep. I want to go deeper. I want you to heal it. Expose it and then begin to heal it. And it'll be a season, but you'll be the better for it. Your fathers ate the man I said in verse 49. Uh, 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, the one that uh, one may eat it, it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. That's where we left off. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever." He's making a clear distinction between temporal and eternal, between spiritual and material. 
a clear distinction. But again, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear to get it. It sounds like, but I think it's, what is he saying? I don't get it. Or, hey, this is hard. This is a tough saying. But if this is what he's saying, by faith, I trust him. Because to believe is to trust and adhere to, cling to, and rely upon. And so it is a hard saying. It is difficult for me to grapple, but he's shown himself faithful in all of my life. How can I not trust him now? Right? These things, verse 59, he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This last little section is where we see the thinning out of the crowd. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? If this offends you, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And so what he's telling them here is, Man, if this offends you, I'm going to ascend into heaven and you're going to be judged ultimately. That's really going to offend you when you're sent to hell. That's really going to offend you. If what I'm saying is offending you, imagine when you're eternally judged. Because I am going to ascend and judgment is coming. Verse 66, from the, and notice this is John 666. From that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's a very important acknowledgement. You have the words of eternal life. It's not the miraculous. It's the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His word is something that we should hold dear. His word is something that we should dive into. His word is something that, man, it just springs up, if you will. It has this way of really just dissecting according to Hebrews, right? It just cuts. It, it, it splits. It divides between the soul and the spirit, between the intellect of the mind and, and the spirit of the man or the woman. And it just cuts to the heart. It cuts both ways, going in and coming out. As we give it out, it better be being applied. It's not something that we're wielding. We're just chopping heads off. It's something that we've taken heed to first. And then we're using it strategically in people's lives to give them the thing that will never return to God void. It will accomplish what he purposes. And so if we're talking to people, if we're sharing with people, give them the word. God will bring that back days, weeks, months, years later. That word will ring true. That word will ring true. Pour into kids the word of God. That thing, God will bring it back to them, bring it back to their remembrance. It's the thing that will never go away or be empty, void. 
verse 69. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it is he, it was he who believed, who would b- betray him, um, being one of the twelve. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this point. If you have any questions, I'll take them. But I'll close with this point. The chapter is, is 71 verses. But the chapter as a whole is showing us the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walks to them on water so that they can see, I'd rather, I'd rather minister to your fears. Don't get sidetracked by the material. Don't get sidetracked by the things that are material. Th- that stuff's good. You're, you're going you're gonna to desire it. You know, you, you have not because you ask not. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And so those are, yeah, it's just in that temporal material realm, the good things that God wants to give to you as his child. Uh, you are his child. He's not your child. <laughs> the good things that he wants to give you as a child. But you have deeper needs. The chapter is teaching you have greater things in your life on the inside that you struggle with in life. And, and you, you'll take those to your grave if you don't let God deal with those deeper things that he wants to so badly minister to and deal with and, and, and heal and, and just, man, that communion in the midst of it and the closeness that you get in it, all of that. Yes, the bread. Woohoo, bread, yay, we get to eat, yay, bread, material things. But he's saying, guys, don't lose sight. Uh, these disciples that walked away, they lost sight of the depth of what I was to be about in their lives, and they just wanted me as a bread king. They just wanted the material. They just wanted the temporal. I wanted to heal some deep, deep, deep things within their souls, but they wouldn't let me. They didn't want that from me. They just wanted the temporal material. And so I, I, as you read the chapter, you can't help, but a lot of verses, 71, you can't help but see Jesus is making a strong point. And there are people on the outskirts, on the fringes, that are kind of peeping in and looking in, and it's never going to be what it really is. It will always be something other than what it really is and really can be, I think of the, the, the temporary tabernacle, and on the outside, it's, it's, it's decorated with badgers. It's like so plain and so, like people see it and they're like, that's where God's presence is going to be. But people on the inside, it's layered with gold and the mercy seat and just the beauty and the angels and just, ah, that's people on the inside who know the beauty of God and the wonder of God and the awe, the awestruck of God. And we get to have that daily, right? That's the kind of glory that we live for, his presence. But people on the outside, they're like, eh, no, not very impressed. Badger skin covers it. Eh. Why not? Sheep's a little softer or something.